Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. It is the eve of National Letter of Intent Day, which is Christmas for all the recruitniks out there. Which five-star players, four-star players are going to sign with the USC Trojans? What's been going on with recruiting? We have on the line, on our Skype line, Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, national recruiting analyst. Lots of news going on today in the world of USC recruiting. We've been all over it on the Peristyle. Record numbers of people and fans on the Peristyle. Full meltdown mode. We got people on Twitter. Follow Gerard at GMart Live. Follow me at Inside Troy. Tons of stuff going on. We had to do a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast to talk all about it. We got Gerard on the line. What's up, sir? How you doing? I'm doing good. It's uh, definitely a wild day. It's kind of mirrored the season that USC had, and now the off season has kind of gone into. They started off strong in the preseason, and as the season progressed, had a couple losses here and there, lost Max Redfield, had a couple of losses uh, in Sebastian LaRue, Eldridge Massington, not really big losses, nobody minded too much, then Eddie Vanderdose, another loss, and now as we're getting closer to the end here, we're starting to see stumble a little bit, and it is Christmas for recruitniks, but right now, USC fans are getting a lot of coal in their stockings. So we're going to see how this plays out. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot happening. As we speak, I'm sure as we speak, there will probably be something that comes up on Twitter, and we'll have to break and run and try to chase it down. Yeah, I did I did a Yahoo Sports Radio interview today, and right before that I went on, uh, the news about Tarodney Prevo not uh, sticking with his USC commitment kind of broke there. So there's just been more and more news coming every it's like Black Tuesday, Gerard. I don't remember a day before signing day that was this crazy. No, and I don't remember a day, quite frankly, for any other school being this crazy. Christmas Eve, a.k.a. signing day Eve. Um, there's also things that happen behind the scenes that are positive, but you always, when you come to this point where there's been so much negative news, it's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction for a lot of people. And for me, I'm a little more gun shy in a situation like this. And while I'm hearing some good things, and we'll talk a little bit about that as the podcast progresses, I think the bad things kind of push you away from getting too excited about anything. It's just one of those days that, uh, as I said, it's an epic day in a bad way, but it is an epic day. It is a day where you just, uh, you don't see, you know, this amount of decommits and kind of the scrambling at the end. And it's not just the decommits. It looks like there's a couple guys that are probably not going to go USC's way as well on signing day. So that adds to it. But um, let's get to these questions because I know there's got to be a few questions out there that are going to overlap with some of the news today. And then we need to talk a little bit about the news today because obviously we want to be timely. Okay, so let's go with that. I'm going to start off with Kevin in South Orange County. He says, could it be possible, should we lose Eddie Vanderdose to UCLA, that it may be viewed in the same light as what is often called our quote-unquote recruiting-slash-program turnaround when we signed Sean Cody, who clearly was a catalyst for our success 
last decade. Is that something Gerard is concerned with despite our coaching staff's recruiting prowess? That's from Kevin in South OC. I think the situation with the coaching staff is much different. And I think in that factoring in, it's much more important. Uh, Eddie Vanderdose, great player, great defensive lineman, five-star guy. You want to get as many interior good defensive linemen as possible. Obviously, USC already has Kenny Bigelow uh, as an early enrollee, and that's huge. That was really big, and uh, I was asked every single day about Kenny Bigelow. Has he enrolled early? What's going on with Kenny Bigelow? Why are his grades being held up? You know, is the NCAA trying to screw USC again with Kenny Bigelow? So Kenny Bigelow is a done deal, but you want to bring in guys with him, uh, especially considering last year USC only got one defensive tackle. Those guys are hard to find, and they're hard to get committed, especially on the West Coast. So Eddie Vanderdos is an important player, a big-time player for USC as a recruit. Is he a catalyst? Is he the turning point of a program? No, he's not. Um, I don't even know that he would be the turning point of a program uh, if he went to UCLA. Obviously, he wouldn't be a turning point for Notre Dame coming you know, from a, a national championship bid last year, and he wouldn't be a turning point for Alabama. So I, I don't think he's that type of player for really any school, uh, but I obviously think that I think the, the recruiting class as a whole, if they were able to keep it together, USC might have been able to point to this being something that kind of put them in a different direction than obviously they ended the season with. And I think that was really the push was obviously if you're able to, you know, close hard with a good re- recruiting class, one of the best recruiting classes in the nation, people would have kind of forgotten a little bit about the season. Nobody was going to completely put it out of their mind, but they would have forgotten a little bit, focus more on spring ball with the early enrollees. Now, if things play out the way they look like they're playing out, people have that sour taste in their mouth, kind of the same taste they had in their mouths after the Sun Bowl. And so, you know, that's kind of one of those things that I think the coaching staff and where they're at and, and, you know, after the bad season – you're not you're not going to get one recruit that's going to turn things around. You know, with Sean Cody, you know, it was really about Pete Carroll coming in, new regime, new philosophy, new culture. The turning point was Pete Carroll. I mean, it wasn't really the recruit. Obviously, that was a, a recruiting class with a few key players that ended up playing really well. But I think what you saw were good, talented players being used and being utilized and the most being used of their talent. And that was really the turning point. And that, I think, again, falls back more on the coaching staff than it actually did the recruits. Okay. Uh, let's go to Bruce and Cupertino for the next one. I'll kind of read his introduction there, Gerard. And uh, it's inter- this, now, this came before today. So some of the stuff uh, he's, he has a premonition on that actually happened. Um, so uh, we want to get your thoughts on, on talking about this. He said, I, don't, I almost don't want to follow – the commitment activity on National Signing Day, which is usually a fun day's activity for me. I fear a disaster looming ahead. The likely losses of Vanderdose and Fitz, probably to UCLA, makes those doubly bad. Jalen Ramsey to Florida State, Jason Hatcher to Louisville, meaning I think he might very well do a double decommit. Nico Fowler to Washington. Maybe we pick up Powell and perhaps some others in return, but I think this means a significant net loss no matter what. I could almost live with all but the, the Ramsey decommit. We could be the 2013 decommit national champion with eight or nine decommits in one recruiting cycle. That's a huge number, certainly not the kind of momentum we want heading into next year. So his question is, uh, how likely do you think this is going to happen on National Signing Day? And is it likely that the USC gets something less 
than 16 commitments on signing day. Again, that's Bruce uh, in Cupertino. Wow. Well, Bruce basically called it. <laughs> Bruce, <laughs> this was said called before it today, almost yeah. to a T. It doesn't look like Jason Hatcher is going to end up at Louisville, but rather Kentucky that did a really good job, ninja style, laying in the Kentucky bluegrass. And we had heard a lot of stuff about Kentucky, and you know maybe USC wasn't as um, really concerned with Louisville as they were Kentucky down the stretch, and Kentucky were very confident about getting Jason Hatcher. And then Jason Hatcher recommits, or at least per his mom, he recommits right. and talks about how he had cold feet. And it's one of those things that people will look at us and go, well, you guys said Jason Hatcher was a USC commit and he was solid. And you guys are wrong about that. You guys are wrong about Jalen Ramsey. Everybody was talking about Jalen Ramsey going to Florida or maybe even going to Florida State, and you guys still have him going to USC. So you were wrong about that. Well, these projections and these things that we put together when we're asked questions about these kids, whether they're going to commit or decommit, there's the official thing that we have to go with when we talk to these sources directly, when we talk to their parents or the kids themselves directly. Now, if a parent is telling us kid A is still 100% committed to USC, we have to go with that. Right. Okay. When that happens just a couple days ago and we're hearing this so-and-so is 100% committed to USC, it's hard to, for us to pull back and say, well, yeah, that's what they're saying, but we don't believe it because that causes a lot of issues and a lot of complications for us. And obviously to be wrong in that situation is going to burn bridges later on for a guy that's going to be a future Trojan. So we really have to go with our sources, quote our sources, and just go with what they're saying. And I think with a lot of these kids, we've been hearing plenty on the other side of things. You hear a lot about Trodney Prevo with Texas A&M. We've been reporting that throughout. I mean, you read our war rooms. We've been talking about that for a long time. Right. Um, we've acknowledged the rumors that have gone on with uh, Jalen Ramsey and the rumors that have gone on with uh, Eddie Vanderdose. It's just one of those things that we go and we verify these things. And when a parent or the kid himself comes back and says, no, that's 100% not true. You kind of have to run with that. If they turn out to be liars and they turn out to say things that are not true, that's on them. But we're just reporting exactly what they're saying. And that's really as much as we can do. So projection wise, obviously we take that into account and we put a lot into that, but the chances of this catastrophe being averted on signing day is really lower than what we see playing out. I mean, it definitely right now seems like those guys are not going to end up at USC. Um, there's a chance that USC does get some other guys. We feel pretty confident about Quentin Powell right now. Um, we hear some good things about Matthew Thomas, the five-star outside linebacker from Miami. This one has been up and down, though. This one has been USC's looking good. Then all of a sudden it looks like, no, it's going to be Florida State. Then it looks like, no, it's probably going to be Miami because James Coley goes to Miami, becomes the offensive coordinator. He's the guy that recruited Dade County for Florida State. So now it looks like Miami's in the driver's seat. Well, Miami ends up screwing up, dropping and pulling the offer of one of Matthew Thomas's teammates, uh, Denver Kirkland, who's an offensive lineman, and all of a sudden now, Booker T. Washington, the school that Matthew Thomas goes to and Denver Kirkland go to, is now furious with Miami. So that's a fallout. So now it looks like, okay, USC's back in the mix now with Florida State. Well, it sounds like 
Florida State and uh, Matthew Thomas's mom have a really good relationship. Matthew Thomas's mom did not make the official visit with Matthew out to USC. That's a big issue. When you don't have the fam- any family members or anybody that's close to that recruit come out to an official visit with the recruit, that's always going to be an issue. But just, later, just earlier today, we're hearing that Matthew Thomas is back in play and Matthew Thomas is you know, maybe another guy that may pull a signing day surprise and go to USC. But goodness gracious, I mean, can we really ride that? Can we really, I mean, we're hearing it from some pretty good people, but at this point, like I said earlier, we're a little gun-shy right now when it comes to making predictions and what we're hearing on this side of the ocean as opposed to what we're hearing on the other side of the ocean because this far, the, everything we've heard on the other side of the ocean has come true to some extent. Obviously, Jane Ramsey, the time and time was really more about him going to Florida, and that turned out not to be true. Well, he's going to Florida. It's just Tallahassee, Florida, not Gainesville. Um, <laughs> and also with Jason Hatcher, Louisville, and not actually Kentucky. But at the end of the day, those guys are not ending up at USC, and it appears it's going to play out that way. Signing day, anything can happen. Jalen Ramsey could end up in tears and decide, you know what, I really want to go to USC. My heart's at USC and end up signing with USC. He's capable of doing that. And there's capable. There's other guys out there capable of pulling some surprises too. But I think the best advice I can give is expect the worst. Hope for the best. Okay. All right. Uh, well, thanks for that one, Bruce. Um, a little Nostradamus there from Bruce. He was worried about the sky falling. It's been a day where it looks like the sky is sort of falling a little bit. Just to give, a, I'm getting a little positive note, Gerard. And I tweeted this out, and it was pretty popular. Yes, it's been a bad day as far as decommits and stuff go. USC still has at least two more five-stars than every other team in the country. So they have five five-stars. The most anyone else has, Alabama and Notre Dame have three. So USC still beating all the other teams by at least two five-stars. Now, unfortunately, there's only going to be 11 commitments, and half of them are five-stars. Their, their average star rating is really high. Uh, but they still have a, you know way more five stars than anyone else, so I guess that's one positive thing. And and ten of their eleven commits are still in the rivals one hundred, I think. So uh, that's pretty impressive. It's impressive, and as we've spoken on many times, even when we did the the dinner uh, down in South Orange County, we spoke a lot about USC's early enrollees and, and just that core base of guys that they got in. Now it's real easy to kind of forget about those guys because they're not signing today and they're not still up for grabs. Thank goodness. Cause you just never know what would happen at this point. You start to get that negative, you know, recruiting momentum and you wonder if one guy's just decommitting because the other guy's decommitting, you know, it's one of those things that these kids are very easily influenced and all of a sudden more starts to get around. Yeah. USC's kind of, uh, you know, the wheels are falling off the lane train. Then all the kids want to kind of jump on that and, and start decommitting as well. So it's good. They got those guys as early enrollees. They got a core class of guys, hardcore SC guys, great players. I, I mean, you've got five stars in there, like Leon McQuay, the third. I mean, remember how everybody was just, uh, just drooling at the bit to try to get Leon McQuay. Well, they got Leon McQuay, five-star safety at a huge position of need for USC. Five-star safety, number one safety in the nation, Sewell Cravens, who they've already got in school, and he'll be there for spring ball. You get Chris Hawkins, who's a corner who's going to be huge. I mean, if USC's not able to get a plan B corner, 
It's all on Chris Hawkins. He's a guy that's coming in and basically competing for that other spot across from probably Kevon Seymour now that you've got Nickel Roby go out. So how important has Chris Hawkins come, become all of a sudden? Uh, you've got uh, Max Brown, number one quarterback in the nation, five-star from Washington. Um, you've got Justin Davis, who's going to be a huge player for USC during spring ball because of the lack of depth at running back. And then you've got Kenny Bigelow, the 6'3", 295-pound defensive tackle from Maryland, who everybody, like I said, was worried about and wanted to get in as early as possible well they got him in and he's going to be a big player uh, for USC in the middle so I mean you've got a great core of, of, of players there that most classes would beg and, and cut off their right arm to be able to get some of those guys in their class and so those guys are already on campus they're already enrolled they're already a part of you know USC and they're going to be a part of spring ball which is even bigger because that gives them that much more of an opportunity to make an impact coming fall camp you know usually when you get those guys in fall camp it takes a while for them to be able to adjust that you know they're really not going to make an impact early in the season these guys that are coming into spring ball these guys are going to be expected to make an impact early in the season certainly will uh well let's let's move on to some of these other questions Melvin loves to send in lots of questions uh we're going to read a couple of them because they were good Gerard deemed them good and still worthy of uh, this podcast because we're going to try to we're going to keep it a little shorter, but we want to get to all the news that's going on as opposed to answering all the kind of questions since it's the day before signing day. And his this question was all on caps, so I think it's really important, Gerard. So uh, pay attention. You paying attention? I'm paying attention. Okay. Is, it by, is it by Trishan Juarez? Okay. Trishan Juarez may have sent us a a, a question on top of uh, the commit. Um, updates that we get on the peristyle. That's a so. peristyle inside joke, so you guys can go check that out. Uh, this is from Melvin, though. He says, why hasn't the coach, and I assume he means Lane Kiffin, hired a, <laughs> a linebacker coach and a defensive back coach so they can legally have the full complement of coaches representing USC out on the recruiting trail? And he goes on to say, doesn't that hurt the recruitment of guys like Vanderdose, Fitz, Ramsey, Hatcher, Thomas, and Powell? Don't the recruits like to bond with their position coach, even though they do look up to the head coach. What do you think about that, Gerard? There's an argument to be made there. I think, first and foremost, from what we understand, it looks like Clancy Pendergast is going to be the secondary coach. So as far as losing Ramsey and not having many options from the secondary standpoint, that's kind of the guy that is sitting down in home and talking with these kids and trying to recruit these kids for the secondary um, USC is down to full-time coaches, however. And obviously one of those guys that's been on the road has been Pat Hayden. We've seen that in the past. That hasn't worked for USC in the past with Pat Hayden out there as the athletic director taking one of the full-time spots that you can have on the road recruiting. Uh, so, you know, there are two, co- two full-time coaching um, spots that are open we don't know what's going to happen with those spots. Obviously, they need a linebacker coach. That is something that, um, yeah, I don't know if, if you know, it really has, has been a, a detriment to them. Um, I think the more bodies you have on the road and the more people you can put out there, the easier it is for the other uh, coaches that are out on the road. I think, you know, T. Martin and Ed Ergeron, I mean, those guys are, are – are, they're really working hard. They're everywhere at once because they have to be. There's that less amount of recruits or coaches – on the road at the same time. But I would say it's kind of ironic because we're talking about Quentin Powell, the 6'2", 190-pound outside linebacker from Delray Beach, Mainland High School, came from the same high school as Leonard Williams. We're talking about Matthew Thomas from Booker T. Washington. and talked about him a little bit already. And USC's out there recruiting without an actual linebacker coach. 
and these guys are still in play for USC. You know, I feel pretty confident about Powell. hearing more and more that maybe Matthew Thomas will come around. That's a little bit of a, you know, cautiously optimistic type scenario right now. But that's kind of funny that, you know, it, it kind of makes you wonder, well, they don't have a full-time linebacker coach, but they're out there recruiting these linebackers. Um, I just think overall, yeah, it would have been helpful to be able to have that full staff on the road just because it makes it easier, period. But there's the argument on the other side to say, you know, don't make a bunch of coaching hires if those guys are not the guys you really want. And after signing day, there's going to be some fallout. So after signing day, there's going to be guys that are hired, fired. There'll be lots of movement. And if you feel like there's a guy that you really want and you want to pursue him, you may take a little more time than just being able to do it in the window after, okay, we hired Clancy Pendergast. Now let's hurry up and get uh, a linebacker coach that can coach that system and he feels comfortable with because that's really what they're doing right now. They're trying to find coaches they feel comfortable with. Whether it's another defensive spot, that's filled besides the linebacker spot, that remains to be seen as well. I mean, we've heard a lot that maybe it's going to be another offensive position that's going to be uh, filled, and there's going to be a spot there. So, you know, it brings up the question, you've only got three full-time defensive coaches. That's kind of unheard of, you know, in college football. You don't really get that much. You don't, well, you don't usually see a full-time special teams coach and then a full-time tight ends coach and then a full-time line coach also. I mean, that's kind of a rare thing as well. So if USC decides to go that way, which we've heard rumors about, um, it's going to be a unique situation in and of itself. And obviously people will say, you know, it surely didn't help them very much on the recruiting trail down the stretch. Certainly true. And uh, the linebacker position, there's a concern there with no linebacker coach, uh, but maybe that's the where USC has the best shot of picking somebody up. So that would be kind of interesting. The other concern, Gerard, and this is the this is question number five for Melvin, but we'll read, we'll read this one too, or at least part of it. Uh, he wants to know what is our plan B if Ramsey does not sign with USC? Aren't we short cornerbacks? It wasn't the original plan to have five defensive backs. Uh, who's left to recruit? What's going to happen? Plan B has already kind of been put into practice. It looks like. Um, USC is making a play, making a, a kind of late run for Priest Willis, um, the, uh, the the defensive back uh, from Arizona, made it to UCLA along with Han Goodman uh, just you know a few weeks. Well, not even a few weeks ago. It was a few last week or you know just earlier last week, a few days ago, really more than a few weeks ago. Uh, he's probably silently committed there a few weeks ago. Uh, a lot of talk with him leaning to UCLA for quite a while. Now USC is getting involved. The interesting thing about Priest Willis, which we have you know, established today, is that he will not sign tomorrow. He's going to continue to look at LSU. He says he's going to maybe look at USC. That's been a little ambiguous as to what you know, interest he really has in USC and how much talk he's had and contact he's had with USC. He's still committed to UCLA. He still plans, expects to sign with UCLA, but is very, very open-ended, very non-committal in terms of the update that we got from Rob Cassidy on the Peristyle earlier today. It's it's interesting to watch and to read in between the lines with that update because we've heard so much of this throughout the year with some of these other commits and guys that we've you know been covering for USC as commits and the kind of things they say and they don't say. And it's one of those deals that Priest Willis right now is not saying, I'm 100% committed to UCLA, I'm going to US, UCLA. The reason he gives, and this is what makes it even more suspicious and comical, 
is that his parents will not be in town tomorrow. So that is why he will not sign his letter of intent tomorrow. Now, this date, signing day, has been established for quite a long time. This didn't just come out of nowhere. <laughs> this wasn't like, hey, we're going to have signing day next week, guys. So everybody kind of get together, and wherever you want to go, go ahead and sign your letter of intent that day, and they had plans already made. Chances are they knew signing day was today, and not signing is just kind of an excuse to maybe entertain some of these late offers and, and what's going on. I think, quite frankly, if he does wait post-signing day, LSU becomes that much bigger of a player. I think it's going to be difficult for USC to be able to compete with LSU post-signing day. The other plan B, if you want to say, uh, because Priest Willis was not necessarily a plan B. USC was after Priest Willis real early in the process. Priest Willis shut down USC. Uh, basically, I'd say late November, early December. They wanted to get on in-home visits. The contact had stopped. He basically was saying, I'm not considering USC anymore, eliminated them, had like a top three, went with that, committed to UCLA. So he's not necessarily a plan B, but he is a guy that, you know, they're going back after now because obviously Jalen Ramsey is gone. The other guy that would be considered a plan B would be Jermaine Kelly, who just got a scholarship offer moments ago. And so you have Jermaine Kelly, who's a six foot, 175 pound defensive back from Salesian High School in Los Angeles, a guy that we've seen a lot of, a guy that I saw a lot of early um, in the recruiting process uh, as a guy that transferred over uh, from San Pedro to Salesian and was really marketed more as a receiver early on and saw some of his defensive back film and thought, wow, this guy's a really good defensive back. I mean, that, that was kind of where I was projecting him early on. He went through the process, wasn't getting a lot of looks, uh, but then over the summer went to the Rising Stars camp and did really well at the Rising Stars camp. What I had heard from many people at the Rising Stars camp was the biggest issue is he did not clock well. He did not time well. He didn't run the greatest 40, and that was going to be an issue for him with some of the elite schools. He went ahead, committed to UCLA, decommitted from UCLA, and has now committed to Washington. So now USC is trying to make a run at him as a Washington commit. Everybody I talk to who's close to him, they're given the vibe that he's not going to decommit from Washington. But you know what? Now he has a USC offer, and it's a little different. You know, USC was talking to him and recruiting him here for the past few weeks, but not really coming through with offer. Now he has a scholarship offer from USC. Changes the game a little bit. So we're going to see if you know he he stays strong with with Washington and decides to stick with Washington. He has decommitted once already, and once you decommit once, it's a little easier sometimes to decommit again. We see that with kids. There's usually multiple decommitments. This is the year of the decommitment, recommitment. Uh, I'm waiting for somebody to de-enroll. That'll, that'll really cap it all off. So, <laughs> you know, right now, Jermaine Kelly is kind of that plan B. And with one more day to go, you know, I mean, one more day, if everybody signs on signing day, you got to remember, February 6th is the first day of the signing period. This is not the last day. This is not the only day. It is only the first day. We who have covered uh, Sontrell Henderson all know that. Um, <laughs> if you guys can remember that recruitment. Um, but that's going to be the first day of signing period. So some of these guys, like Priest Willis, may not sign tomorrow. So that gives us all uh, you know, just something to look forward to the rest of the week and maybe the rest of the month where this can drag out like a circus and we can follow it along like the guys at Disneyland who follow the elephants after they go through the parade with the shovels. Nice. Uh, it's a great visual we got there, Jerome. We have one more question, though, and it does have to do with defensive backs. And uh, actually, I was talking to uh, – it was funny. There's some – 
this is a day, Gerard, where national members of the, the sports media kind of look to people like us for what's going on because they don't follow recruiting as well. And, and I got a call today from a guy I've known for a little while who just happens to like USC and national media and uh, was asking about these some of these guys too. So I thought it'd be an interesting question from Martin. Um, he wants to know about the defensive backs coming in. Now there's not five like there used to be. There's three. Which ones do you think could come in and, and push for a starting spot? And and what do you think about some of the guys, some of the recruits that we have heard a lot about that maybe we didn't see much of? Uh, you know, Kevon Seymour or Davion Shelton, uh, Josh Shaw, guys like that. How, how do you think they all kind of fit into what this secondary is going to be like? Because certainly USC wanted to bring in five defensive backs for a reason. Now they're going to, certainly going to be relying on some young guys, a lot of guys probably haven't seen before on the field, to, to come in and contribute. They really need guys to step up who are there in the program that have been injured. Guys like Torn Harris. I mean, Torn Harris has to step up. That's a guy that now you don't have a Jalen Ramsey. You're not going to bring in, you know, another marquee guy along with Chris Hawkins. You need one of those guys that's already in the program to step up. You know, we saw Josh Shaw step up somewhat last year. Now, a lot of people feel like he's a better safety, free safety, than he is a corner. But at least he stepped up and he actually played and he contributed. And he, you know, had his ups and downs, obviously, against Notre Dame. A lot of people, you know, watched that game and, and he got, uh, you know, taken advantage of a little bit, really going against um, the tight end, which is, you know, a tough kind of matchup for anybody. I mean, uh, you know, that's one of those guys that uh, nationally is, is going to be one of the top players. He's going to be drafted really high. What was it, Tyler Inert? I forget his name off the top of my head. Tyler Efert. <laughs> you know, that was a game where, you know, he got posted up a couple times, got the ball caught over him. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, he can't play corner. But you know what? One of the better players nationally that he was playing against, Josh Shaw is a guy that I think is going to play a factor in this, uh, whether it be a corner or a free safety. Um, but I think, you know, Torn Harris, a guy that's got to step up, got to stay healthy, got to practice, you know, be involved. He's a guy that just, you know, practices like once a day, you know, during the week and then comes in and plays three games, usually has a good game, and then all of a sudden he disappears. He gets hurt, and you don't see him anymore. So that's a guy that really needs to step up. You know, Anthony Brown is going to have to step up. He's been injured. You know, you don't expect so much from maybe a guy like Anthony Brown because he was only a three-star guy in high school, but still a guy that can come in and can contribute and can do some things for you. Uh, as far as the recruits that are coming in, I mean, Sue Cravens is going to be hard to keep off the field. He's going to be hard to keep off the field because of his awareness, because of his, his cerebral nature for the game. He's going to absorb the playbook. He's going to be in the right place at the right time. It's going to be interesting to see how they use him. I was watching, interestingly enough, a bunch of film on Cal and Cal's defense on YouTube. There's a few fuel games from 2012 and 2011 that are on YouTube of Cal. And I was watching Cal against Washington State, and I watched Cal against UCLA. In both of those games, Cal used a ton, a ton of 2-4-5 formations. 2-4-5 being two defensive tackles or two defensive linemen. Sometimes you'll stick a defensive end in there, but usually two defensive tackles. Then you've got your four linebackers. Then you've got your five defensive backs. So you've got a 2-4-5. So they use that formation a lot against UCLA and a lot against Washington State. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a bit of that with USC. Now, obviously, different personnel. Got to use it differently. But you're going to have more linebackers and more safeties and guys than you're necessarily going to have a whole bunch of defensive linemen. So you can see that kind of coverage 
uh, scheme being implemented. Everybody's talking about USC going from the 4-3 to the 3-4. The hybrid scheme, is it really a 3-4? Is it just a 4-3 with some stand-up guys that really are defensive ends? Well, if you're running the 2-4-5, that's a different nickel look. Um, you're, you're really going to have to put some guys out there that can get in coverage and he can run and play in space. And so you're going to have to see a guy like Sue Cravens make an impact. You might see Leon McQuay play some cornerback. You know, he's capable of playing some cornerback. He's got some good speed. He's a real rangy guy, really long, um, very smart again. You're talking about a guy who's got a, like a 5.0 GPA coming out of high school. 5.0 out of Armwood High School? Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. He's, he's, I mean, it's like he's got brain cells in his afro. So you're talking <laughs> about a guy that is going to be able to come in, and again, just like Sue Cravens, he's going to process the playbook fast. He's going to get that time at spring ball where he's going to be able to understand and get this stuff going quick. And those guys are going to be able to come in quick uh, with the fall camp and be able to contribute probably early on for USC. And so I think USC, they're going to have to make some moves. They're going to have to move some guys around. Maybe it's Josh Shaw. Maybe it's Leon McQuay. But they've got talent there still. I mean, if you, you, you play it right, you've got, you know, Gerald Bowman there. He's a guy that's an All-American Juco guy. Played last year mostly on special teams. Hard hitter, physical, but a guy that came in in June and didn't come in in January like they wanted. And we talked about this in previous, you know, parastyle auditions. Um, the thing is, you 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 really need that spring ball for those JUCO guys, just like you need that spring ball for those freshman guys. They're coming in, learning a whole new system. Obviously, Division One college like USC is much different than Pierce College, so they're still acclimating to college life, living in a dorm, the schedule, the regiment. It, all those things hit those guys. They're not able to really come in and hit the ground running most of the time if they're coming in in June, July. And he came in, I think, even later than most of the recruits. I think he came in the second semester of summer school. So he was even later than a lot of the freshmen that came in for the bridge program in, in late May, early June. So, you, again, that's a guy that you can bring in. Now he knows the system a little more. Obviously, it's a new system. So everybody's going to be, you know, pretty much at the same uh, level of understanding, you know, what uh, Clancy uh, – Pendergast wants uh, because it's a, it's a new system. So, you know, all these guys are going to have to learn that. These guys that get into spring ball, they're going to have that much more of a jump on it. All right, Gerard, those are our questions. Um, I had a little comment for you, and then we could talk about anything else as far as news goes. But, um, you know, we talked about the, the five defensive back part. I think another concern is on the defensive line class, and there's been certainly some, some decommitments, two defensive linemen committing, decommitting today alone. Um, Ed Orgeron's my boy. I, I loved following him when he was at USC before, and just he's been—he's great to cover. He's fun. He gives good quotes, and um, he's a guy I like. But you have to look at what he's doing. Is there something wrong? Like what, what's going on with Ed Orgeron? Whether they're unable to to get some of these guys on the defensive line. I mean, Kenny Bigelow's a stud, of course, five-star guy. Bringing him all the way from Maryland's a big deal. But for the rest, it's not—you know—it's it's not been looking that great. Well, I mean, let's look at them individually. I think uh, with Eddie Vanderdose, the unique situation there is that Eddie Vanderdose's um, off-season coach, his trainer who runs uh, a defensive line camp during the summer, actually is really good friends. I don't want to say best friends because I don't know what the relationship is to that extent, but really good friends with Angus McClure, who is the defensive line coach at UCLA. And so that was always something that gave USC, uh, UCLA uh, a fighting chance in that recruitment. Obviously, USC season opens the door. I think Eddie Vanderdose is a guy that, that likes 
the, the winning teams. He kind of his visits kind of followed that way. You know, said Notre Dame and Alabama. So I think the season did impact him. I think that that was an issue. I think football was an issue more than it was off-field issues. He talked about you know I'm. I'm committed to USC as long as Ed Erdogan goes there. He said that several times before he actually decommitted. He even said that after, right after he decommitted. At this point, it doesn't seem like it's going to play out that way. And I don't know what happened. I mean, the relationship didn't change as far as I can tell. Um, I think it was just one of those things where UCLA kind of lucked out because there was a built-in advantage there with one of their uh, coaches on their staff. Now, not to say that they didn't work hard and they didn't do a good job recruiting Eddie Vanderdose, but there's obviously an inherent advantage there just because of the relationship that uh, UCLA had with one of uh, Eddie Vanderdose's closest coaches, somebody that, you know, lives in that area. And I think um, Angus McClure actually has a lot of other people that live in Auburn, California, because he's from there. So you, I mean, he's, there's a lot of people probably close and around Eddie Vanderdose. Auburn, California isn't the biggest city in the world um, that, that, you know, I'm sure put some nice things in Eddie Vanderdose's ear about UCLA. The year before, it was Ellis McCarthy, which was the, one of the oddest situations because you had his dad basically put his foot down and say, no, I don't want my child going to USC. Uh, he was a big UCLA fan, just did not like USC, just did not want him to go to USC. Ellis McCarthy was not going to make a decision on his own. Ellis McCarthy was just basically going to follow whatever his parents wanted him to do. His dad wanted him to go to UCLA. That's what he did. That was really out of. I mean, there's nothing that Ed Erdron or Lane Kiffin or anybody could have said in that situation. He was just going to go to UCLA because that's what his dad wanted. Um, I think with this year, Trani Prevo, you lose uh, the guy that recruited his region, the guy that was closest with him. That's Marvin Sanders. He was fired and let go. Um, that was, you know, obviously an issue with, with Jalen Ramsey as well, as you can read on our free update that we put up, uh, talking to Jalen's dad just about the crew situation. Um, so, you know, with Trani Prevo, I'm sure there was a little bit of disconnect maybe because of that. Um, you got Jason Hatcher. You know, Jason Hatcher, I mean, this is a guy that decommitted recommitted according to his mom and now apparently has decommitted again Jeez. and is going to sign with Kentucky. Uh, what happened in that situation? I don't know. I mean, it looked like Ed Erdogan actually gone in and closed that situation and went in on that in-home visit. And that's when Jason Hatcher uh, recommitted to USC. So, you know, I mean, quite frankly, I don't think you can put it on one coach. I mean, I think, you know, as a staff, there's been decisions made, obviously, with, you know, the firing of, of uh, Marvin Sanders, um, you know, how much of the hiring of Clancy Pendergast worked for USC in the recruiting trail. You know, it's tough because Clancy Pendergast is not a national guy. He's not out there recruiting the Southeast. He's, you know, for Cal, he's really probably was, uh, you know, his region was more of the West Coast. He didn't have a name um, really outside of the West Coast. I think I remember one of the things that Jalen Ramsey's dad had told me uh, after, I think, you know, the third or fourth official visit, it was the first, or excuse me, in-home visit, it was the first in-home visit that USC had made with Clancy Pendergast. And post that visit, one of the things that his dad said was, you know, I just don't know. We really don't know anything about Clancy Pendergast. You know, we don't really know anything about him, and I've asked people about him and, and, and people that, you know, of other coaches that I know and what have you, and the only thing we know about Clancy Pendergast is that he's been fired from his last three jobs. And that's just, that's just, I mean, that's just something that you don't want just lingering in a recruit's mind. That's the only thing they know about a coach. So th these are the type of things that, you know, continue to be hurdles for the coaching staff, um, and, and it comes up more and more with – you know, obviously the season and going back to having a bad season, 
the dissatisfaction in the, in the fans and the talk that, you know, if Lane Kiffin doesn't turn it around this season, he's going to be gone. So that brings uncertainty. And uncertainty, and I've always said this, I know I sound like a broken record, uncertainty is the death of out-of-state recruiting. If you have uncertainty in your program, you can kiss all these guys that are in South Carolina and Georgia and Tennessee and Ohio goodbye because they're not going to go all that way across country and get into a situation that they're unsure of. They don't want to go into a situation where they might have to have new coaches. You know, if you look at it from a reality standpoint, all of these schools could have different coaches next year. I mean, shoot, you look at Jalen Ramsey going to Florida State. Florida State just hired a whole bunch of new coaches. They lost like nine assistant coaches or something. I mean, it was like a whole turnaround of that program. And they themselves, Florida State, saw a bunch of decommitments kind of coming up and leading up to signing day themselves because of all those coaching changes. So it happens. It goes on. And, but for the recruits, it's here, it's now, it's the relationships they have. They want to go in feeling comfortable. And whatever happens and changes, when they get to the school, they feel it's out of their control. So at this point, it's one of those things that USC, before they got into that point of getting these kids into school, they had these changes, and the kids started to kind of waver. And I think in some, in some instances, maybe it was just a convenient excuse to say, well, you know what, nah, I don't want to go to USC anyways. Why is that? Well, because things have changed. I mean, with Jalen Ramsey – Things changed, and his father talked about that, you know, when he committed, what USC was looking like, what the, the, the layout was, who the coaches were, what the scheme was. It was one thing, and obviously today it's another. But USC and Jalen Ramsey had a in-home visit just, you know, a week ago, and Jalen Ramsey supposedly 100% committed. You know, he was going to USC 100% committed. He had uh, the last in-home visit was going to be with Florida, but basically he said he was done. He's good with USC. Nothing had changed since that point. You know, Clancy Pendergast had already been hired. They already had two in-home visits with Clancy Pendergast. They already had their official visit with Clancy Pendergast hired. Um, you know, Marvin Sanders had already uh, been let go. So there was no change from that standpoint. So you have to wonder, well, was it really because of the change or was it just because that's an, a convenient excuse to just say, ah, I want to go to Florida State? because right now that program looks at a better place football-wise than USC does. So, I mean, there's arguments all along, but, I mean, I don't think defensive line-wise, you know, what's going on with Ed Ergeron or defensive back-wise, what's going on with I – I think you just have to look at it as a staff, just like the wins and losses. You just have to look at it as a staff and look at the decisions that are made and go forward with what you have rather than what you don't have. Makes sense, Gerard. Uh, thank you for that. Um, before we let you go, I just wanted to see what the news – today what your thoughts are if there's anything else you wanted to update everyone on some of the breaking news that's happened today the day before signing day no i think we've covered pretty much everything yeah. uh you know we're gonna update uh our uh, forecast piece um which is uh you know kind of projecting where guys are going i know a lot of people are asking about uh the four-star offensive tackle nico fala who's committed to um usc that's at st john bosco there's been a lot of talk about him possibly decommitting and going to washington tomorrow we have yet to confirm that nico has been all over the place i've not had a good feeling about nico because i mean after his official visit he basically went underground and you know the guys that were pretty solid with usc after the official visit they got on the phone and they talked about it and they ended the recruiting process by publicly stating they were 100 percent going to sign with usc nico follow wasn't one of those guys and it really reminded me a lot of people about two days recruitment the uh, defensive tackle from patterson and he took his official visit to usc late in january last official visit and afterwards, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get him on the phone. He just completely went off the radar. And it was the weirdest thing. Like, why would you take an official visit to USC 
and not have anything to say about that official visit, not talk about that official visit. Well, he ended up at Washington, and you've seen that kind of similar uh, behavior from Nico Fala, where he's you know just going back and forth. He gets on Twitter one day and he's talking about how he's going to his future home at USC, and then the next day he's you know posting his uh, his his letter of intent from USC and talking about his future home, and then the next day he's posting Go Dogs. So I, it's been really hard to figure out what he really wants to do. The latest talk is that he's going to go to Washington, but you know what? Again, kind of like with Jalen Ramsey, at this point you're, you you don't necessarily put your all your eggs into one basket or the other basket. I think anything could kind of happen, um, but it's better you know to kind of expect the worst and hope for the best. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff. Uh, got you a little break from Twitter and uh, the Paris. Oh, well, thank stuff you for that. I appreciate. Yeah, that. not that. We- it wasn't really much of a break since we're still talking about all this stuff. But uh, well, at least I, I got you a break from your your zombie movie. So I, I didn't hey. get to watch a zombie movie, man. I was just you know, it's a it's a long. <laughs> You're day. golfing instead. No, there was no <laughs> golfing today. Maybe a little. No, I played volleyball last night, but that was there it, you go. So, yeah. Um, but good stuff. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, definitely stay tuned to uscfootball.com. There's going to be a signing day ticker. So as faxes and stuff come in. As commitments come in, we'll have that updated on Rivals. It's a new feature that we just added, so check the front page for that. Lots of great stuff coming up. Thanks again, Gerard, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Check out uscfootball.com for more. It's going to be a crazy day on the Peristyle. Make sure you check it out, and thanks again for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 